Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ready for success. Leadership Strategies for Women is a show dedicated to providing practical and valuable strategies for emerging women leaders of today. It's your time to get inspired, motivated, and challenged to achieve your vision for success. And now, here's leadership speaker and coach, Ellie Nieves. This is the Leadership Strategies for Women podcast, and I'm your host, Eli Nieves. I'm the founder and president of Leadership Strategies for Women, where I develop seminars and webinars to help high-achieving women show up, speak up, and step up in their careers. To learn more, please visit my website at leadershipstrategiesforwomen.com, or you can follow the Leadership Strategies for Women page on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Here to talk to us today about assessing the impact of belonging beyond diversity, equity, and inclusion trends is Dr. Soribel Henao. Soribel is a principal consulting for Adding Valued Assessment LLC and an associate professor of educational leadership at the City University of New York at Queens College. For over 15 years, she has partnered with leaders and organizational teams to assess and facilitate training and team building programs. Throughout her career, she has worked with corporations, higher education, and not-for-profit organizations globally on initiatives focused on belonging beyond equity and inclusion. She earned a doctorate in public administration from Rutgers University, a master's in urban affairs and planning, and a bachelor's degree in mass communications from St. John's University. Sorivel, welcome to the Leadership Strategies for Women podcast. Thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure and honor. So Sorivel, you're clearly very accomplished, but tell us something that we don't know about you. If I can do this all over again, I would be a dancer, a ballet dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, my story is one that's not unique, but rather unique. And I say that um, in in a very humbling and modest way, but one that reflects triumph above all. And my story starts um, as someone who grew up on the Lower East Side in Brooklyn, Lower East Side of Manhattan, that is, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, born and raised. Uh, my parents were both immigrants. Uh, they migrated between the 70s and 80s. Um, a lot of the issues that we are now kind of thinking about today as it pertains to equity issues and diversity and inclusion were issues that I had no idea we were experiencing back then because when you don't realize how poor you are, you just don't really have the ability to assess what it is that you don't have. Um, So social mobility at the time was not something that we spoke about. Um, We couldn't articulate or define what that actually meant. And only later on in my own uh, studies that I truly understand um, what it was that we were not being taught in the public school system, 
um, going to public school system all my life up until I went to undergrad at St. John's University. I didn't realize how different I was. And it was there that I truly saw that I was not only the only uh, person of color in most of my classes, but I was the only Black Latina in every single environment. So the challenges stemmed from immediate perceptions of what I knew based on what I looked like, um, not understanding the importance of advocacy and how to advocate for myself. Um, the microaggressions and the implicit biases that took place were not something that I was prepared for. Um, and the challenges of even speaking and writing um, because English is not my first or second language. And while I'm super impressed by that, clearly the system was not. Um, and that really took a toll in how then I started perceiving myself. And so the imposter syndrome kicks in. But again, I don't even know what it is, but it's happening in front of me. Um, and I was fortunate um, right before graduating, somebody just took me by the hand and that somebody was an advisor for the McNair Scholars Program and said, no, you, you belong. You certainly belong in better institutions that are going to nature and nurture you. And I went to Ghana, to Ghana summer of 2003 with a professor was supposed to be there for two weeks collecting data and research for his project. And I ended up staying for three months. Um, it was an experience because it was also the first time I left the United States. <laughs> so to go from uh, never leaving the United States to visiting Africa was an incredible journey for me. Um, but it was also there that I came back, knowing myself a little bit more and being more proud of my people and who I came from and those ancestors that we kept hearing stories about, but actually seeing proof of the geography was even more impressive. Um, I then enrolled, I was a student at NYU that fall and two of the professors there said, um, we noticed something that when you speak, nobody else does. And one of them had the courage to say, um, maybe this program is not for you and at first, I threw a little bit of shade at him, like, how dare you say that? He said, no, it's not that. It's we would like for you to feel comfortable and confident. Um, we're not challenging you the way that we feel you need to be challenged. And he told me about the program at Hunter College, um, the Urban Affairs and Planning. And I went and sat on one of the courses that they had for two weeks, and I fell in love. And so two years later, as I'm about to graduate, I'm looking forward to just finally going into the workforce and yet somebody else reached out, um, Dr. Lakshmi Ramasubramanian, who I'm now very close with, um, said, it's great that you wanna work, but you're not done. And she recommended that I apply to six doctoral programs. And as an obedient student, I did. And I went to the school that funded me because <laughs> that was important. So I went to Rutgers University and I had such an amazing experience there. Um, but it was also there that I became much more inquisitive about our educational system because I realized that 
it wasn't really about the schools and the principals, and it had more to do with the policies and uh, legislations in place um, that were truly impacting our school and educative systems. And so I focused in under the public administration schools program and education policy. I took it and ran with it. And I was very fortunate enough to assess and measure the performance of collaborations at Newark Public Schools. And I got some wonderful data. Um, and the findings of my research were even more fascinating because my hypothesis was rejected. And that then led me to continue researching more fabulous information that needed answers. Um, so that was 2010, May of 2010. So I just took you from 2003 to 2010. <laughs> And in 2010, I, two months after graduating, I received a call about a, an opportunity at City University of New York Queens College, which I am still a professor at um, for education leadership. And if there is anything, anything I have learned is the importance of reinventing yourself because the position itself, while it has evolved, the person I am today because of this position is completely different. Um, my views, my perspectives, my ideas, the narratives that have been created, um, the ways in which I thought administration was or could be is no longer. And the need for change and innovation is more needed than ever before. So, so let's go into that. Why don't you tell us about the work that you're currently doing to build diverse, equitable, inclusive organizations that embrace justice and belonging? Yeah, so thank you for asking that. Um, when the tumultuous happenings of the summer of 2020 occurred after George Floyd and all the other unfortunate killings happened, um, I was in the midst of actually already doing that work, right? So hearing diversity, equity, inclusion, it, it didn't just annoy me, but it really, really triggered a point of contention. And I say that um, because right before getting tenure, I realized that most of my research was already under the umbrella of diversity. Um, and calling it inclusion, knowing that all I had experienced was exclusion um, was really hard for me. But I also knew that facilitating workshops and professional developments and appearing to have these lectures and talks on the importance of equitable practices had more to do with why do you want me here? what's gonna make me feel like I belong? Are you doing this because you have to fill a quota or are you doing this because you really see the change um, that's needed? And I was facilitating these conversations on campus um, without knowing that I was. Um, I recall them, them meaning the administration asking me to get on a diversity committee and we'd be very resistant um, because I felt that if we're gonna have these conversations. I cannot be part of the, the choir and that I shouldn't be in rooms with people that look like me that are experiencing the same trials and tribulations. Um, but I wanted white cisgender men, the, the reasons that we continue to go through these very um, 
patriarchal experiences that even are embedded in our everyday curriculum and systemic issues. Um, I took that time to truly assess, and this was back in 2011, to assess if, if I was truly comfortable having these conversations, especially with folks who I wasn't sure if they even cared about me being here. Um, two years later, I, I continued to be part of these very complicated conversations within uh, campus administrations and committees, but always felt and knew that there was only so much I could say before somebody pumped the brakes or um, even interrupted me or would say things like, what do you mean we're not diverse? Look, we have pictures of women all over the campus as if it's such a novel idea. And I would, I would not have the courage to interrupt or kind of disrupt what it was that they were saying. One, I didn't feel protected. And two, I was 28 when I finished my degree and I also look extremely young. So this idea of how do I then again advocate for myself without having tenure? Understanding that that in itself was also a very um, inequitable practice. I took the show on the road and someone tapped me on my shoulder at one of the, at one of the conferences and asked, um, you know, we could really use what you said at our organization. Would you mind assisting us in building more equitable practices? And I, I didn't know that even was a thing and I did it thinking that, oh, it was just a favor for a colleague and they paid me something that I was not expecting them to pay. Um, and I was extremely grateful, but it was then that I realized, wow, if, if I was paid for doing this work out of passion and love and compassion for my people and my community, um, and I could make a profit off of it and, and knowing that this was not what I expected to be paid, I'm sure I can package this better and do more. And, um, and so I did. Um, and it just so happens that it's been a hit since. A great example of how we often have passions and we don't understand that we can package those passions and actually make them a business or a service that could really uh, benefit communities that we care about. So congratulations on being able to uh, create a business out of something that you love and you're passionate about. So can you tell us what the compelling narrative is around your work when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and justice? Yeah, so uh, most of it definitely comes from understanding my own personal experiences and knowing that, again, while they're not unique, they're also very triumphant. Um, I understand that we are still going through very um, indifferent times, to say the least, um, especially in our educative system. Um, understanding that education is the foundation for everybody's ability to do anything that they want to do in the careers that they choose. Yet, we have equity pay issues. Um, we also have um, gendered issues. So we have an unfortunate circumstance that while the majority of the workforce is predominantly white women, 75% across the nation, and I'm not even speaking about it from a global lens, um, the majority of the administration are still white men. And these are also white men who've never been in the classroom. 
Um, so I knew that that was a huge factor to why many of our laws and legislations and policies have had the impact of failures that our school systems have clearly depicted, especially public school systems. Um, I also realized that black and brown communities in particular are not being fed, not just financially, but um, in a way that really nurtures our communities. Um, we have principals or school leaders or school district leaders that don't know who their communities are because they don't take the time to not just live in these communities, but truly understand it's not the school building, it's not the school district. It is who is around, who's making these communities work. These are the folks that are just as invested as they are. Um, and I, I gathered all of that information and thought about what is the compelling narrative that has to change? Because if you are going to be a part of this community, then perhaps we need to assess you. Why are you the person to be in this role? And in my practices, um, at, as an associate professor preparing future leaders, I utilize those um, theoretical perspectives to present them in the work that I do in that if we are gonna call something by critical race theory, for instance, that we have to truly understand how that reflects in our culturally responsiveness. And that we truly have to understand that these are not terminologies that are thrown out there um, just to say that we know or that was something that we learned, but that they have true impacts in our communities and the way that we use them, not loosely, um, can certainly assist us in the way that we assess for evaluation. Um, and that evaluation will also turn around and show us how confident we are in understanding what true diversity, equity, and inclusion is with understanding that you cannot do that without having folks see their justice being represented and that they belong in these communities. You cannot create narratives for folks that you have nothing, that they have no connection with or know nothing about. So we know that there's still a lot of work to do. And fortunately we have individuals such as yourself working in the space to try to make a dent and move things forward. So what kind of progress have you seen in the work that you've done within the diversity space? Yeah, so a proud project, um, and they're actually, well, there's two, but they're tied together. So one, I would say was um, being able to advocate for true internship experiences. So in 2015, I was able to have the, uh, the chancellor's ear at the time, and it was so profound because I, I kept advocating for the need to start preparing principal leaders who wanted to work and buy in multilingual communities. Um, but I also knew that they needed their tuitions to be paid for so that they can have these authentic experiences and not have to worry about um, all the other bureaucratic um, red tape that went behind what it was to actually get the degree. So not only were those students funded, but those students were also handpicked throughout New York City. So I had the privilege and honor of speaking to superintendents and truly engaging with them to understand why these selections needed to be made, why we had to be so particular. Um, and out of that then, um, in presenting this with a group from the Wallace Foundation, um, the school districts from outside of New York, so uh, specifically in Georgia, Tennessee, 
uh, reached out to me and asked me, hey, can you help us engage in not just rebuilding our model for bilingual, multilingual communities, um, but how do you get these communities to feel like they belong in part of our school districts? And so I ran uh, workshops for about three weeks in these school districts and um, it, it built my confidence, but also my social network in that now this is a stand-in contract for me in a way that I know that in from the months of July to September, I have to be in two or three states outside of New York running these workshops. And these workshops all, um, are reflective of the importance of truly engaging in community and practice, but how do you bring them in so that they are the ones that are actually the real stakeholders, the ones that are um, really feeling like not only they are a part of the solution, but that they also wanna be accountable for whatever measurements are going to be performed. So Dr. Hanau, uh, clearly uh, there are probably people in our audience who are interested in the work that you do. How could they get in touch with you? Yes, my email would be the best email as I work on my own platform. Uh, the best contact information is shanao, that's S-G-E-N-A-O at gmail.com. Wonderful. Dr. Hanau, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our listeners about assessing the impact of belonging beyond diversity, equity, and inclusion trends. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. And to all of my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, God bless. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.